Welcome to the June 2nd, 2022 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. In today's podcast, we discuss results from the International Phase II Captivate study, showing that in patients with treatment-naive CLL, Fixed-dose ibrutinib plus venetoclax yields deep and durable responses and promising progression-free survival. We'll also explore data that show that aryl hydrocarbon receptor is a critical inflammation checkpoint in the lung epithelium, a finding that may have therapeutic implications for idiopathic pneumonia syndrome. Lastly, we'll review new insights into the role of von Willebrand factor propeptide in facilitating multimer formation, shedding light on a potential novel treatment approach for type 2A von Willebrand disease. Let's start with the article entitled Fixed Duration Ibrutinib Plus Venetoclax for First-Line Treatment of CLL primary analysis of the Captivate FD cohort by Constantine Tam of the Peter McCollum Cancer Center and the University of Melbourne and international colleagues. The treatment of CLL has been transformed in recent years due to the introduction of targeted therapies, including the BTK inhibitors ibrutinib and acalabrutinib and the BCL2 inhibitor venetoclax. For patients with treatment-naive CLL, Options approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration include single-agent BTK inhibitors given continuously, as well as venetoclax plus the anti-CD20 monoclonal antibody obinutuzumab, given as a fixed duration of treatment. An increasing body of data suggests that combined treatment with BTK and BCL2 inhibitors may be synergistic in this setting. For example, Multiple single-center studies have demonstrated promising efficacy of the combination of ibrutinib plus venetoclax, with or without obinutuzumab. Thus, there has been considerable interest in the Captivate study, an international multicenter phase 2 study of ibrutinib plus venetoclax as first-line treatment for CLL patients 70 years or younger. There are two separate cohorts in Captivate. One is a fixed-duration treatment cohort, which is discussed in the present research article. The second cohort evaluated a strategy of treatment discontinuation based on minimal residual disease, or MRD, status. Primary results of the MRD cohort were reported last year in the Journal of Clinical Oncology. In the current work, the investigators present primary results of the cohort designed to evaluate response with fixed-duration ibrutinib plus venetoclax. The fixed-dose cohort included patients 18 to 70 years of age with previously untreated CLL or SLL requiring treatment. All patients had measurable nodal disease and an Eastern Cooperative Oncology Group performance status of 0 to 2. Fixed-duration treatment consisted of three 28-day cycles of ibrutinib monotherapy, followed by 12 28-day cycles of ibrutinib combined with venetoclax. Ibrutinib was given at 420 mg once daily, while venetoclax was given with the standard 5-week ramp-up to a target dose of 400 mg once daily, along with the usual tumor lysis syndrome prophylaxis and monitoring. Once that fixed-duration regimen was completed, any patient with progressive disease could be retreated with ibrutinib monotherapy until further disease progression or unacceptable toxicity. For those patients with disease progression two or more years after completion of the fixed-duration regimen, retreatment with ibrutinib venetoclax regimen could be considered. 
The primary endpoint of the trial was the rate of complete response, or CR, in patients without 17P deletion, plus a pre-specified supporting analysis of CR in all treated patients. The CR rate was defined as the proportion of patients achieving either complete response or complete response with incomplete bone marrow recovery. Altogether, 159 patients were enrolled, including 136 without 17P deletion. Many patients had high-risk features, including 17P deletion in 13%, 17P deletion and or mutated TP53 in 17%, complex karyotype in 19%, unmutated immunoglobulin heavy-chain variable region gene in 56%, and 11Q deletion without 17P deletion in 18%. In addition, 30% of patients had bulky disease. A total of 92% of patients completed all 12 planned cycles of ibrutinib and venetoclax. By investigator assessment, the primary endpoint of CR was met in 56% of the patients with no 17P deletion. This significantly exceeded the pre-specified minimum CR rate of 37%, as well as the 40% CR rate historically associated with the FCR chemotherapy regimen. The CR rate was similarly 55% in the overall treatment population and 56% in patients with 17P deletion and or mutated TP53. Best undetectable MRD rates in peripheral blood were 77% overall, 76% in patients without 17P deletion, and 81% in patients with the 17P deletion and or mutated TP53. In bone marrow, best undetectable MRD rates were 60%, 62%, and 41%, respectively, for patients overall, patients without the 17P deletion, and patients with 17P deletion and or mutated TP53. At a median follow-up of nearly 28 months, the estimated 24-month progression-free survival rate was 95% overall, 96% in patients without 17P deletion and 84% in patients with 17P deletion or mutated TP53. The estimated 24-month overall survival rates were 98%, 98%, and 96%, respectively, across those groups. Common treatment emergent adverse events, most of which were grade 1 or 2 in severity, included diarrhea, nausea, neutropenia, and arthralgia. The most common grade 3 or 4 adverse events included neutropenia in 33%, hypertension in 6%, and decreased neutrophil count in 5%. There was one fatal adverse event, sudden death, that occurred during treatment with single-agent ibrutinib. Other adverse events of clinical interest for this regimen included atrial fibrillation in 7 patients, or 4%, including grade 3 or greater atrial fibrillation in 2 patients, or 1%. Major hemorrhage was seen in 3 patients, or 2%. No tumor lysis syndrome was observed. In their accompanying commentary, Kerry Rogers and Jennifer Woyak of The Ohio State University in Columbus note that while the efficacy data for the fixed-duration regimen is outstanding, including those patients with high genomic risk disease, many questions remain. For example, they note that there is a trend toward patients with unmutated immunoglobulin heavy-chain variable region gene having a higher likelihood of undetectable MRD. However, longer follow-up is needed to determine whether this type of combination reverses the negative impact of unmutated immunoglobulin heavy-chain status on progression-free survival, observed with venetoclax and obinutuzumab, 
but not with continuous BTK inhibitors. In studies of ibrutinib plus venetoclax, including Captivate, it has not yet been demonstrated that depth of remission, either attainment of a complete response or undetectable bone marrow MRD, correlates with progression-free survival. This is in contrast to chemoimmunotherapy or venetoclax antibody combinations, where undetectable MRD is correlated with longer progression-free survival. As Rogers and Moyak point out, this may just be a function of short follow-up, but also raises the question of whether the biology of the CLL cells is altered by this combination. While known ibrutinib-associated cardiovascular toxicities, such as hypertension and arrhythmias, were observed on study, the fixed duration of treatment reduced their cumulative incidence. In summary, Rogers and Woyak laud the ability of this all-oral, fixed-duration regimen to achieve such a high level of undetectable MRD with a short duration of treatment, with additional follow-up of adverse events and biologic characteristics of residual and recurrent CLL. It should become more clear which patients will derive the most benefit from this regimen. Let's turn to the next article, titled Aryl Hydrocarbon Receptor Targeted Therapy of CD4-Positive T-Cell-Mediated Idiopathic Pneumonia Syndrome in Mice, by Sung Min Lee of Inje University College of Medicine in Busan, South Korea, and colleagues. In this research, Lee and co-authors describe a role of aryl hydrocarbon receptor, or AHR, in lung epithelial cells in the repression of idiopathic pneumonia syndrome. They also present preclinical data for a specific agonist of AHR that may exhibit therapeutic activity in this setting. Idiopathic pneumonia syndrome, or IPS, is a detrimental complication of allogeneic hematopoietic stem cell transplantation that responds poorly to available treatments and has a high rate of mortality despite advances in supportive care. The incidence of this acute non-infectious lung injury has decreased with use of less toxic conditioning regimens, though outcomes remain poor when it does occur, typically three to four months following transplant. In IPS, the lung is subject to attack by alloreactive T-cells, monocytes and macrophages, and inflammatory cytokines and chemokines. Some patients with IPS will respond to treatment with agents that block tumor necrosis factor alpha or neutralize interleukin-6. However, in general, there remains an unmet need for new targets and treatments. Accordingly, Lee and investigators sought to shed more light on the underlying molecular pathways of IPS. Specifically, they focused on AHR, a ligand-activated transcription factor. Activated AHR has beneficial activities during the inflammatory response in both hematopoietic and non-hematopoietic cells. For example, AHR controls expression of cytokines such as interleukins 10, 17, and 22, and transforming growth factor beta. It is also important for preservation of barrier integrity and function in the lung, as well as in the gut and skin. IDO1 is a rate-limiting enzyme of tryptophan catabolism, and inflammatory mediators induce its expression, primarily interferon gamma in various cell types. L-kynurinin, which IDO1 synthesizes, and its breakdown products are endogenous ligands of AHR. AHR activation by these endogenous tryptophan metabolite ligands counteracts the excessive inflammatory response. The administration of AHR ligands effectively inhibits inflammatory tissue reactions, particularly in the lung. 
However, there are limitations to using AHR ligands as therapeutics because of their poor pharmacokinetics, low efficacy, and toxicity. That brings us to the aim of the current investigation. It is known that if the IDO1 AHR axis is not functional, excess interleukin-6 released by lung epithelial cells induces development of pathogenic Th17 cells. Lee and colleagues hypothesized that during IPS, lung epithelial cell expression of IDO1 and AHR constitutes a point of control for differentiation of Th17 cells. The present study describes the protective effects of AHR in lung epithelial cells during IPS. In a mouse IPS model, a lack of AHR causes hyperinflammation. Deficiency of AHR in non-hematopoietic cells not only worsened IPS, but also increased Th17 cells while decreasing regulatory T cells. In lung epithelial cells, interferon gamma-induced expression of IDO1, while interleukin-1-beta-induced expression of AHR. Investigators found that AHR regulates expression of the transcription factor JUND in lung epithelial cells. Activated AHR prevented IL-1-beta-induced binding of STAT1 to the promoter of JUND. The inhibition of transcriptional activity in turn repressed the expression of inflammatory genes. The reduction in JUND promoter activity led to decreased levels of interleukin-6. In turn, this decreased differentiation of donor Th17 cells in the lung. By contrast, CD4-positive regulatory T cells were increased. The investigators also provided some clues as to therapeutic targeting of IPS. Induction of AHR expression was independent of interferon gamma and IDO1, suggesting that use of an AHR agonist could be a better therapeutic approach than an IDO1 activator. In addition, L-kynurinin amelioration of lung injury was observed only in the presence of AHR. This indicated that AHR can be targetable and may suppress inflammation. These observations led to the evaluation of a synthetic AHR agonist known as PB502. The therapeutic effect of PB502 on IPS was investigated, with L-kynurinin used as a reference. PB502 was found to be superior to L-kynurinin in reducing lung inflammation. It was also more effective in inhibiting interleukin-17A production and proliferation of CD4-positive T cells in the lung during IPS. Furthermore, PB502 was shown to suppress Th17 cells and promote the generation of regulatory T cells. In his accompanying commentary, Gerhard Hillenbrand of the Markey Cancer Center at the University of Kentucky said that PB502 represents an intriguing approach to augmenting and accelerating the suppressive effects of AHR on inflammatory cytokine production. He further points out that the study elucidates a concept of healthy inflammation, in which early inflammatory response activates immune checkpoints, and with prolonged stimulation, the inflammatory process is downregulated. However, more work is needed to understand how AHR signaling impacts epithelial barrier function and lung health, as it is beneficial in some models, yet injurious in others. For example, in SARS-CoV-2-induced lung disease, interferon beta or gamma induction of AHR in lung epithelial cells increased mucus production and hypoxia. Overall, the study demonstrates that impaired signaling of AHR in lung epithelial cells after allogeneic transplantation may precipitate IPS. Furthermore, infusion of a potent agonist may not only block IPS, but may also induce generation of regulatory T cells. 
Thus, this study provides proof of concept for further drug development in IPS. The final research article is entitled Structural Basis of Von Willebrand Factor Multimerization and Tubular Storage by Zhangwei Zhang of Shanghai Jiao Tong University School of Medicine in Shanghai, China, and colleagues. In this article, Zhang and co-authors demonstrate that von Willebrand factor, or VWF, propeptide serves as a pH-sensing template for VWF multimerization and tubular storage. This may have implications for the delivery of normal propeptide to rectify defects in multimerization of von Willebrand disease mutants. VWF is a large multimeric glycoprotein in the blood that controls platelet adhesion and aggregation. The normal function of VWF requires its assembly into large, disulfide-linked multimers. Defects in the multimerization of VWF are responsible for several forms of von Willebrand disease, a common inherited bleeding disorder. The assembly of VWF begins in the endoplasmic reticulum of endothelial cells and megakaryocytes. There, it is synthesized as a precursor pro-VWF that includes a signal peptide, a propeptide containing two D domains, D1 and D2, and a mature VWF protein that begins at the D' domain. In the endoplasmic reticulum, the pro-VWF monomers form tail-to-tail homodimers through formation of disulfide bonds. After transport to the Golgi, the pro-VWF dimers further multimerize through the formation of head-to-head disulfide bonds. These multimers are stored within endothelial weibull pilati bodies, which play a critical role in hemostasis through the delivery of VWF multimers into the circulation. The VWF propeptide containing the D1 and D2 domains is indispensable in this process of VWF multimerization and tubular storage. Both D domains are needed for multimerization, so deletion of either D1 or D2 leads to complete loss of VWF multimerization. However, the exact molecular underpinnings of this dependence on VWF propeptide is unclear. Zhang and co-authors sought to resolve the cryo-electron microscopy structures of VWF tubules. The structural and biochemical analyses indicate that the propeptide forms a homodimer at acidic pH through the D2-D2 binding interface. It then recruits two D'-D3 domains, forming an intertwined D1-D2-D'-D3 homodimer. Stacking of these homodimers by the intermolecular D1-D2 interfaces brings two D3 domains face-to-face. This facilitates disulfide linkage and VWF multimerization. As these homodimers are sequentially stacked, a right-hand helical tubule for VWF storage is formed. Clinically identified VWF mutations in the propeptide disrupt different steps of this assembly process, ultimately resulting in diminished VWF multimers in von Willebrand's diseases, according to Zhang and co-authors. For example, the Y87S mutation, a well-characterized mutation associated with type 2A von Willebrand disease, is found on the D1 domain surface. The Y87S mutation is expected to impair D1-D2 binding, but not the binding of D'-D3 and D1-D2. The type 2A von Willebrand disease mutant VWF-E8 deletion was also previously reported. 
This mutation, which leads to skipping of exon 8 of the VWF gene, is expected to shorten the cradle region and affects binding of D'D3 on D1-D2. In the present study, these expectations were confirmed through analysis of the D1-D2 domains of both mutants. The results demonstrate that E8 deletion mutation disrupts D'D3 binding of D1-D2 early in the VWF assembly process, while the Y87S mutation affected stacking of closed pro-VWF dimers later in the process. Both defects led to diminished formation of VWF multimers. The investigations of Zhang and co-authors suggest that D1-D2 functions as a pH-sensing template to allow for the docking of D'D3 molecules in optimal positions for their intermolecular disulfide linkages. Then, D1-D2 serves as building blocks for tubular storage of mature VWF. The findings may have therapeutic implications. In particular, they indicate that delivery of a normal propeptide template might help overcome the multimerization defects observed in von Willebrand disease mutants. Such a strategy could be a welcome addition to the therapeutic armamentarium. Although currently available therapy is considered effective, there has been little treatment innovation in the past three decades. The present findings could have implications specifically for the delivery of gene therapy. However, one obstacle is the large size of the VWF gene, 8 kilobases. This exceeds the 5 kilobase packaging limit for the recombinant adeno-associated virus vectors successfully used in hemophilia gene therapy. Given the template mechanism of VWF propeptide, as demonstrated in the present study, perhaps just the propeptide could be introduced for endothelium cell-targeted gene therapy restoring VWF multimer formation in type 2A von Willebrand disease or other VWF mutants. Overall, the current research article shows how the VWF propeptide functions as a pH-sensing switch for VWF multimerization and tubular storage. The findings suggest the possibility that externally introduced propeptide could be used to rectify defective VWF multimerization processes. You have been listening to The Blood Podcast. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode. Thank you for listening.